Good to see you over there. So, well, hey, I want to welcome everybody to our first Christmas at the Rock service. You guys are the very first ones, all right? So you get to break it in and do all that. So, man, we are we are just fired up that that you are here uh, with us today. That you're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? So that, that, that's what it's all about. And uh, so I, I want to thank you for being here. I want to obviously thank everybody who I'm looking at right here in Conway. But I also want to give a shout out uh, to those of you who are watching online, uh, maybe those of you who are watching on demand later, or for those of you who are at J. Rubin, we are thankful for you, and we want to wish you a very very Merry Christmas, all right? And um, I do want to say this before I get into the message, like, like I have, well, I actually have to say two things, because technically it's Thursday night, all right? We all know that. Some of you will watch this later on a different day, but we record on Thursday night. So I need to let you know, as much as I love Thursday nights, it's my favorite night of the week as a church, we will not meet next week, okay? So everybody go ahead and say boo, boo. all right? But we always take the Thursday night between Christmas and New Year's off. One, we, it gives our staff, especially those who don't live around here, a chance to go home for the holidays because they will all be working on Christmas Eve. Um, so they, they get some time to, to get away with family. But also we have so many VIPs who serve every week. So on that Thursday night, we don't meet that Thursday night. So we'll be back on Sunday, December 31st, and then back on January 4th, We'll be back for our next Thursday night series, uh, service, all right? So I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about that series because that series is called Win the Day. And, and the whole idea of win the day is like many of us want to win the year. Well, to win the year, you got to win the day. So, so we'll talk about all that, but that's in two weeks and we'll get to that. Let's talk about our series tonight. And that is Misfits. That we've been in this series and we've been saying that God does his best and greatest work through misfits. And we've really like looked at this idea of being a misfit. And we started this series four weeks ago. And we started downtown in Conway on a Thursday night. And I asked you this question, who is your favorite Christmas character? And, and, and many people kind of spouted out like it's this person or this person. And here's what I've come to notice. That... That for most of us, most of us, our favorite Christmas character is actually a misfit. Like, like I don't know if you thought about that. Let me show you some of these Christmas characters. Kevin, he's a favorite. That's a misfit, right? Like, Kevin is a misfit. That, that Cousin Eddie, that's a misfit. And many of us love Cousin Eddie because a lot of us are Cousin Eddie, all right? Let's remember that, right? So we got that. You got the Wet Bandits Misfits. You got, you got Elf, a misfit. You got Grinch. He's a misfit. Like these are guys who go, oh, that's my favorite. And they're all misfits, just like Rudolph. And our, our whole series has kind of been born out of this idea of looking at Rudolph's story, that Rudolph was a misfit, that when he was born, he was kind of born as a misfit, and he had that red nose, and his mom and dad were like, this is weird. So his dad, like, tried to cover up who he was. He's like, you know, put some, put some mud on that nose and go out. But then, then when he'd go out and he tried to play and be a reindeer, he talked with a real squeaky voice, which I don't think there's anything wrong with having a weird voice. 
But anyway, you know what I mean? Like, like, like he'd do that, and then everybody's like, man, you talk weird. And so they made fun of him for that. And then one day, his, his like, mud flew off of his nose, and, you know, it's glowing, and everybody's freaking out, and their eyeballs are rolling. Am I the only one who's seen the movie? You know, you know what I'm like? You got me, Gina, right? Like, like, and they're like, oh, he's a misfit. He's a misfit to the point that Rudolph is like, I'm done, and he leaves. That, that he was held in isolation as a kid by his parents. Then he was covered up. And, and then the truth about him was known. And he felt like a misfit, so he just left. But while he left, he also ran across other misfits. That he ran across people like uh, Hermie the dentist, who that was an elf acting like a dentist. And, and like, that, oh, you're a misfit, right? That's what they told him. He came across Yukon Cornelius, another misfit. He came across Bumbly, who everybody thought was a really mean snowman. He's actually a very nice snowman or, or like abominable snowman. So a misfit. That, that he came to the Island of Misfit Toys where there was Charlie in the box and the train with square wheels and, and other toys that, that were left alone on this island because they just didn't fit. So, so when you look at the story of Rudolph, what you see is a guy, uh, an animal, a character in a story who's a misfit. And, and whether you think Rudolph is the biggest Christmas misfit or maybe it's the Grinch who's the biggest Christmas misfit, or, or Kevin, or whoever else you might think, right? They are like some of our favorites, and they are huge Christmas misfits. But, but they're not the biggest misfit ever. They're definitely not the biggest Christmas misfit ever. And I would even say this, they're not the biggest misfit ever. The biggest misfit and the biggest Christmas misfit of all time is Jesus. And, and I'll be honest, like, like when I say that, some of you are like, did you just call Jesus a misfit? You're like, like if you get struck with lightning, I hope I'm not too close, you know? Well, God don't miss, don't worry. <laughs> I want to be real careful right now. But, but I'll be honest, like when I wrote this sermon like, like, like a long time ago and I wrote down, Jesus is a misfit, I'm like, can I say that? Like, like honestly, I had to wrestle with it because I don't want to be sacrilegious at all. That, like, like I definitely, that is not the point of the message. And, and I actually asked some friends and some other pastors on our staff, I'm like, can we say that he's a misfit? And, and we all talked about it and we're like, yeah, because he was. He was a Christmas misfit, but not just a Christmas misfit. He was the biggest misfit of all time. Why would I say that? Well, maybe allow me to say it this way. I want to prove to you that Jesus is a misfit. I want to prove to you that, that he's a misfit because of the way he was born in a manger and the way that he died on a cross. But even as a misfit, what I hope that each and every one of us will recognize today and will make decisions towards this is even though Jesus is a misfit, he's a perfect fit for you and me. That's what Jesus is. So, so let's, let's look at this. Let's, let's look first at this idea of Jesus being a misfit in a manger. Like, 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 let me help prove to you why I want to say that he's a misfit. And 
And, and before I even talk about the manger, I, I got to back up just a little bit. Like, I got to make sure that we understand what was going on in that time. You see, it was a time when the Romans were in rule, that they were reigning, that they had control of the land. Pretty much the entire known world at that time was under Roman rule. And the Jews who lived in the, the area of Jerusalem, in the promised land area, that, that they were longing for a day when God would send a Messiah who would be their king and would kick the Romans out of the land. At least that's what they believed the king would do, is kick the Romans out of the land and they would start reigning over the world or at a minimum over the promised land again. Like that's the time in history it was. That one of our pastors was doing some research for this message, and they found a quote in uh, the Matthew Henry commentary, which is uh, just one of the most well-known commentaries when it comes to, comes to the Bible. But, but this is what Matthew Henry said in his commentary. He said, he, meaning Jesus, was born at the time when the fourth monarchy was in its height. More than any of the three before it, a universal monarchy. He was born in the days of Augustus Caesar when the Roman Empire extended itself further than ever before or since, including Parthia one way and Britain another way, so that it was, so that it was then called Terum Orbis Imperium, the empire of the whole earth. I bring this up because here's what I want you to see is there's this massive empire, Roman empire, that's in charge, that, that is ruling over everybody. And it was at that time that Jesus came into the world. Now, that time would have been around 3 B.C., could have been 4 B.C., maybe 3 B.C. is when Caesar actually did the census, which I know will flip some of you out because you're like, wait, Jesus wasn't born in 1 A.D.? No. And while we're there and messing everybody's mind up, he wasn't born on December 25th either. And I know that might mess some of y'all up. You're like, I'm out. That preacher don't know what he's talking about. My grandmama told me. But right, like he was probably born in August or September. They, we, in, in Christianity, we chose this date as a day to recognize and remember the birth of Christ. That he came into the world at a time that was perfect. Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, actually said, at the right time, God sent his son. At the perfect moment in history. And I believe that was the perfect moment in history because it was because of the Roman rule, it made possible for the message of Jesus to go out to the entire known earth. All right? But, but I want you to see, even in that time while he was being born, that he was born as a misfit. That, that if you just look at the Christmas story that Snowman Sam shared with us, hopefully you were here during that part of the, ser- or that part of the service, but, but if you just look at the Christmas story, what you'll see is, is how Jesus was a misfit. He, he was a misfit at conception. I mean, think about it. He was conceived by a teenage girl who was unwed, and a commoner. 
Now, again, remember, everybody, the Jews, are looking for a king to come to, the, to, to their rescue. They're looking for a, the Messiah to come and take over all the Romans. Yet Jesus was born of a teenage, single mom who was a commoner. Like, think about that story. A, 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 a miraculous story happens to a teenage virgin. And, and if she would have been a princess, some people might go, okay, that makes sense. Like, she's in a palace, she's a princess, and wow, look at how the gods have moved in her life. But this is a common girl. So Jesus is conceived in the way he's conceived by the power of God over Mary. That's kind of a misfit. That story is a little bit of a misfit story. Look at, at the town where he was born in. Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a lowly little town. It's a, it's a small little farming community about six miles south of Jerusalem. Even still today, it's very much a, just a, a common town. And in this common town, it's a town that's really not known for much except for a couple other misfits. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, Ruth and Boaz, they're from the Old Testament, that that's where they met. That's where they were married. Bethlehem and Ruth is a misfit. King David, we talked about him last week. And yes, he was a king, but he was a misfit that he's from Bethlehem. And now Jesus is being born there as well. So his conception is a little bit of a misfit, that, that his birthplace is a little bit of a misfit. His bed, that's a little bit of a misfit. I mean, think about it. When, when, when you're born, like he was laid in a manger, not, not a bassinet. Like manger's not a fancy word for a bassinet. It's, it doesn't mean in other uh, like languages a crib. A manger is a feeding trough. It's where the animals came and ate. This manger maybe could have been wood, probably would have been made out of stone, but they laid Jesus in a manger. His bed? Man, that's a little bit of a misfit. Because again, if he's a king, you think that he's born in a palace, not in Bethlehem. You think that he has this incredible room, this incredible place, not a manger. And then even the people who first visited him, misfits again. That, that the first people who visit Jesus are not dignitaries. They're not people of wealth. They're not kings from other lands. Like, yeah, the wise men came, but they didn't come that night. They, they probably came not even a couple days later, but probably a couple weeks, probably more even like a couple months later. And again, I know that throws off every one of your, what do you call those things? Nativity things. Thank you. He's Baptist. I couldn't remember. Um, appreciate that, Timmy. <laughs> brain fart. Anyway, but you know what I mean? Like, I know it throws off all of your nativity scenes because you all have the three wise men there, right? You're like, I got my shepherds. I got my donkey that Mary rode on. Probably didn't. But, but again, you know, you got it all there. And you're going, why am I listening to this guy? He has changed everything I've ever believed about Christmas. What I want you to see is there's a lot of misfit in the story. That the people who first visited Jesus they were shepherds. They were lowly. He was born of a common woman by the power of God in a common place, was laid in a common bed, 
and was first visited by common people. Maybe I could change it and say this, that he was conceived by the power of God in a misfit teenager, in a misfit town, in a misfit bed, and was first worshipped by misfit shepherds. You see what's going on? Jesus is a misfit. That's not how kings come into the world. But Jesus came not as a typical king. He actually came as a misfit, as a slave. Look at this next verse. It's, it's found in Philippians. It says, though he was God, right? Jesus was God. He did not think equality with God as something to cling to, something to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. If I could change words right there, I would say it this way, that he took the position of a slave and was born as a misfit. Because he was saying, I'm coming for misfits, so I will come as one of you. And that's the reason I say that I believe Jesus is the greatest misfit because he's a king who's coming into this world to rule and to reign, but he doesn't do it in a palace. He doesn't do it through dignitaries. He does it as a little baby in a little town called Bethlehem with some common people who were there to care for him. Jesus is a misfit in the manger because of the way he was born And laid in it. But it doesn't stop there. I would also say he's a misfit because the way he died on the mountain. He's a misfit the way he was born in a manger, but he's also a misfit because of the way he died on the mountain. And when we think start thinking about Jesus' life, that obviously it doesn't go immediately from from the manger to the mountain. There's 30 plus years in there. There's a lot of mountain scenes in there. It's an incredible study. You can go back and look at all the different sermons and things that happened in Jesus' life while he was on a mountain. But it all came to a head on the mountain of Golgotha, the mountain of Calvary, the mountain of the skull. You see, Jesus, that that as he was living his life and he started his ministry, he started doing things that, that other people didn't like. Oh, they wanted a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who would come and who would reign. They wanted a Messiah who would come and, and, and change the system. They wanted a Messiah who would come and, and, and maybe get rid of the Roman rule. They're looking for this Messiah. And then when Jesus first shows up on the scenes, he starts doing all kinds of miracles. He changes the water into wine, that, that he heals people of their diseases, that, that he raises the dead. Everybody's like, I like this guy. And then the misfits of the world like what he said. Because Jesus stood on one mountain at one point and said, well, blessed are those of you who are poor. And you know, there's probably a bunch of misfits that go, well, I don't feel blessed, but I'll take that. Oh, blessed are you who mourn. Well, I don't feel blessed because I'm mourning, but, but if you say it, I'll, I'll, I'll try to grab a hold of that. Blessed are those of you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who are pure at heart. That Jesus came preaching a message 
that was totally different than everybody else's. And there was a group of religious leaders who didn't like it. They're like, oh, time out. You're, you're upsetting the system. That you're, you're making things bad on us. You're making us look like misfits to the point that they look for ways to arrest him. And finally, they found their avenue and they went and arrested him one night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then they put him on trial in front of all the religious leaders and they said, we, we can't figure you out. You're saying you're going to tear down a temple and rebuild it in three days. How can you do that? You say that, that you are a, follow, a follower of God, but you also say you're the son of God. You, you, rumor has it that you're saying that you are the Messiah. And the high priest actually looked at him and said, are you? And Jesus said, yes. And because of that, the high priest ripped his clothes because he's like, you can't be the Messiah because you're not doing things the way we wanted you to do them. You were born in a, in a, in a weird town. You lived in Nazareth. That, that this doesn't fit. So they said, we're going to crucify you. We're, we're going to kill you. The Jews didn't have the power to kill, though. They didn't have the authority to kill. So they took Jesus and put him in front of a Roman ruler named Pilate. And they said, Pilate, you need to kill Jesus. You need to crucify Jesus. And Pilate's like, well, what's he done wrong? Well, he's broken some of our religious rules. And he's like, well, I mean, okay. I, I don't follow your religious rules, so why should I kill him for that? Oh, well, he also claims to be a king. And you got to remember what's happened at this point. This is a lowly servant. Jesus isn't walking around in king's robes. Jesus isn't walking around with a purple sash like sometimes we see in pictures. He's walking around as a commoner. And he's loving on commoners, on other misfits. And, and now before he gets to Pilate, he's been up all night. He stood trial where they've pulled hair out of his beard. They've punched him. They've spit on him. He's been tortured. And now he stands in front of Pilate and Pilate goes, you're saying he's a king? He goes, are you a king? And Jesus says, well, you, you are right in saying I'm a king. He's like, well, where's your kingdom? He's like, well, my kingdom's from a different place. If it weren't, my servants would have fought to prevent my arrest. And Pilate's looking at him going, man, I can't figure this guy out. So he's like, well, I'll just release you. And he goes back to the Jews, and he's like, hey, I, how about I just release him to you? And the Jews had incited the crowd to say, no, crucify, crucify, crucify. So what they did to Jesus is they flogged him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a cross on his shoulder. And they made him carry the cross up a mountain. They made him carry it up the mountain. And, and then while he's carrying it up the mountain, he, he stumbles, he falls. They take another guy named Simon, and they say, you carry Jesus' cross. And when they finally get to the top of the mountain, they get to a place called Golgotha. Or Calvary, maybe you've heard it called. Or, or in English, we'd call it the place of the skull. And this is what it reads in Luke 23, 33. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. 
that he carried the cross up a mountain. This is a mountain from these mountain ranges where he'd been preaching the sermons on the mount, where he'd been transfigured into his glory. And now he's hanging on a cross with nails in his, in his hands. And while he's nailed there, he's nailed between two other criminals, two other misfits. And one of the misfits looks at Jesus and says, oh, hey, if you're God, how about you save yourself? But the other one looks at him and says, don't you fear God? We're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And here's what I want you to see, that Jesus was born in a manger as a misfit, and now he's hanging on the cross on the mountain as a misfit, because the three guys that are hanging from these crosses, the three guys up there, they're criminals. They are portrayed as criminals. Right? There's two criminals, two thieves, two guys who have done something to break Roman rule. And then there's Jesus, who has done nothing wrong, but it looks like three criminals. It looks like three misfits. So, so I would say Jesus is a misfit on the mountain because of the way it looks. But more than that, I would say this. Jesus is a misfit on the mountain because Jesus doesn't deserve to be on that cross. Jesus had done nothing wrong. 33 years of life perfectly lived. No sin, no wrongdoing, no reason that he should ever be on the cross. But he was on the cross to take our place, to take my place, to take your place, to take our place. And again, that's why I say he's a misfit, because he's not the one that should have been on the cross. Who should have been on the cross? Right? Right? I mean, let me go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, it says this. It says, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Can can we go back? Let Let me back up. Look at this for a second. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Go to the next verse. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That everything that he did was for us. The person that needed to be on the cross was me because if I was on the cross, it wouldn't have been a misfit. I would have been getting the punishment I deserved. If you would have been on the cross, we would have been getting the punishment we deserve because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken fit with God. But Jesus said, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to get us back together so that we can be a perfect fit. And that's why he was born in the manger, but it's also why he died 
on the cross so that he might save us, so that he might save you, and so that he might save me. That, that maybe I think of it this way, that, that when I think about Jesus' story, it's the greatest story ever told. And it's a story about a misfit who saved misfits. And it's a story about a misfit who saved misfit who uses misfits. See, see, think about the three crosses for one second again. That Jesus is on this cross. One criminal doesn't really want to have anything to do with him. But the other criminal says, don't you fear God for we are getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says this. He says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And that day, on that cross, on that mountain, Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. I want you to think about this. I've said it every weekend, that God does his greatest work in and through miracles, or or through misfits. Jesus is a misfit and God was doing his greatest and best works through him as a misfit. But even as he was doing the work through his son on the cross, Jesus was doing work in that misfit saying, let's reconcile this relationship, right? And now for 2,000 years, we've been preaching Jesus' story, but we've also preached this other criminal story because this criminal found life inside of Jesus. Rudolph, great story about a reindeer that saved Christmas. Grinch, great story about a misfit who saved Christmas. But neither one of those stories are real. But the story of Jesus is a real story about a real God who came to this earth to save us. And that's the reason why I would say this about Jesus. I would say, here's to the crazy one, the misfit, the rebel, the troublemaker, the round peg in a square hole, the one who saw things differently. He's not fond of rules. He has no respect for status quo. You can quote him, disagree with him, glorify or vilify him. But the only thing you can't do is ignore him because he changed things. He pushed the human race forward. While some may see him as a misfit, we see genius because the misfit who was crazy enough to think he could change the world is the one who did. He's the one who did. And that's the reason why I would say that Jesus is a misfit and he's a perfect fit for you. A perfect fit for you. And I wanna challenge you right now as we go into this time of response to get back into a fit with Jesus like a puzzle piece going together. Because again, we've all been separated because of our sin, our transgressions, our infirmities. Yet, because of him being born in a manger and dying on a cross on a mountain, he brought us back 
into the possibility of being in relationship with him. And to get into that relationship, he's done all the work and he's given us a gift. All you got to do is open it. All you got to do is open it and say, I want to receive that gift. And for some of you, maybe, maybe you've never done that. Today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day that you can know I'm going to reign with him in paradise because I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to put my faith in him. I'm going to go all in with Jesus. And if you need to do that, I know we're going to have prayer counselors at our Connect Corner there. We'll have prayer counselors at our Connect Corner up here. We have people at our baptistry who would love to help you take that step. Do what you need to do. Others of us, why don't, why don't we do this? Have everybody stand with me. Others of us that you have gotten into a, a fit with Jesus, you've asked him to be your savior, but maybe maybe that puzzle piece has gotten a little separated because maybe you started 